once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. How could an angel be wrong? An angel wouldn't appear to someone and tell them something that wasn't true, right? And if it's an angel telling you to do what you really wanted to do anyway, can you really trust that it's an angel from God? Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Hearing God in a Noisy World with the last part of this message entitled Counterfeit Voices, which covers 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray and let's prepare for the teaching of God's Word. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you now that you would Prepare our hearts in a way that we would have a sense that we're hearing from you this morning. Father, we know that you've given us truth in your word, and that word is uh, to be studied and applied, and we want to do that week to week right here. We pray you would bless this particular week as we do so. Lord, we pray you would cleanse our minds of anything that would distract us. Cleanse my heart that I might be able to teach accurately and clearly. We pray as a result of this that as we leave this place today, we'll have a much greater handle on how to hear you in this noisy world in which we live. Please grant it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. It was about a decade ago now, a lady named Deanna Laney thought she heard God speak to her in a very clear way. And she was convinced that God was telling her that she should take the life of her three children, eight, six, and two. Believing that God was asking her to test her even as Abraham was willing to offer up his son Isaac, she thought that's what God was telling her to do. In this case, there was no stop and left her two older children dead and the youngest maimed for life, took a large stone and literally bashed their heads and took the life of two and maimed the other. Now, I'm sure she was convinced. She was convinced she'd heard from God. Now, you and I know that she didn't hear the voice of God at all. She heard something else, and what we're doing is calling that sort of voice a counterfeit voice. Now, that's an extreme voice. You and I are not going to hear that kind of message and be confused. I'm convinced. But there are every day of our life voices that we sense and we believe as we're discerning as Christians, should I do this, should I do that? Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? And we have to discern what is the direction of God for me. They're not all things that are found in Scripture that thus saith the Lord. Do I buy that house? Do we move and take this different job? Do I marry this person? Is this someone I should date? I mean, the questions just come all to us all the time, and we have to figure out how do we discern the will of God? How do we find his direction? Over these last two weeks, and now this week, we're covering counterfeit voices. This is part of a larger series, Hearing God in a Noisy World. We've been looking at numerous topics and subjects within that, that broader category of hearing God. But this week, this part three of this idea of counterfeit voices. As we talk about this, I'm a little wary that 
Some of you have been here the last two weeks going to say, here we go again. I hear the story of 1 Kings 13, but there are new people here every week. And this is, uh, you got to think about this as one sermon over three weeks. So we're using the same text. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn once again, if you've been here, 1 Kings 13. I'm going to tell a portion of the story. We'll read a part of it as well. Here is the story of 1 Kings 13. A man of God, no name, just a man of God, is told of the Lord that he should go to a place called Bethel, where King Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, was about to inaugurate a a sanctuary and its altar and all that goes with it, the priesthood, because King Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom, was a very wicked man. He knew that Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom and that the people that he ruled would have a temptation to believe that they had to get to Jerusalem, the place of worship, and that they may defect in order to get to Jerusalem. So he said, well, I'll just, I'll develop my own priesthood and my own altars and my own sanctuary. And he's about to inaugurate this particular one. And God speaks to a prophet from the Southern kingdom, this man of God and says, go to Jeroboam and prophesy against what he's doing. So in obedience to that, he goes before Jeroboam as he's there in front of all of this magnificent creation that he's come up with to keep the people worshiping there, and he begins to prophesy. As he does, you can imagine Jeroboam is not too happy about that, and so he stretches out his hand to to take him and certainly to have him arrested and probably executed, and as he stretched his hand out, his hand withered. Realizing he was in the presence of God because the man of God prayed at that point and said, God, would you restore his hand? And his hand was restored. With that, he turns to Jeroboam, or he he, uh, turns to the man of God and he says, would you come eat with me? Would you come drink with me? He said, no, I'm, I'm forbidden to do that. And so with that, he saddles up and he heads out. The story continues that there were some sons of an old prophet. This is a prophet from Samaria, which is the the capital of, of that northern kingdom. And they happen to see everything that takes place. They go back, these sons of this prophet, go to their dad and said, hey, dad, guess what we just saw? And describes in detail the splitting of the altar and the withering of the hand, the healing of the hand. And he said, where did this prophet go? Did you see which direction he headed out of town? He said, oh, yeah, we saw him. He went this direction. And so he saddled up and he follows. He finally catches up with the man of God and he says, I would like for you to come back with me and eat with me back in in Bethel and uh, eat and drink with me. And he refuses. He says, I cannot do that. And with that, we pick up in our text. I'd like to read the next verses that follow. Verse 16. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For command came to me by the word of the Lord. You shall eat no bread, nor drink water there. Do not return by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet like you. 
And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now, the rest of the story goes on that once he's eaten and he's drunk what he has, the old prophet gets a message from God. Now, this is not a true follower of Jehovah, but he does get a message from God, and it's an accurate message, and he says, you have disobeyed, and therefore you will not make it home. You will die before you get home. And sure enough, he leaves, and he's attacked by a wild animal, and he dies on the road. Prophecy fulfilled. Now, we've been looking over these weeks at the various various voices that uh, we could identify as we read through the text. And as we do so, keep in mind, this is a three-part message. And so I'm not going to go into all the details and not going to review and so forth. But if you, if you look at your outline, you can see what we've already covered. We've looked at the counterfeit voices of personal desire, peace of mind, number two, misguided friends or acquaintances, Number three, and there we addressed biblically what the Bible has to say about the gift of prophecy. We talked about does it continue today, what is that gift, and so forth. And so we covered that. Then fourthly, we looked at open doors. As we talked about open doors, we also addressed the question of casting lots, which you find in Scripture, and then also the idea of fleecing, which you find in Scripture as well. And we try to identify the difference between open doors and fleecing. And that's where we've ended. So if you're interested in any of that, we have the CDs if you want to purchase CDs. Or you can get it free online and go to our podcast. So this is where we pick up today with number five. Today we're going to look at mystical experiences. Mystical experiences. Not all of these are going to be rooted in the text, obviously, but we use the text as we taught it the first week to explain the idea of counterfeit voices and the danger and so forth. But let's talk about mystical experiences for a few minutes. A friend of mine a number of years ago in this church was deeply in love with a beautiful woman and excited, Lord willing, to be married one day soon. To his great surprise, great surprise, she cut off the relationship. She said, no, it's not right. I don't feel it's the right thing to do, and we got to go our different ways. And it broke his heart. And so he was away at a uh, very remote beach home. And he came to share with me the story of what had happened when he was at that beach home. And he said, I was just crying out before the Lord and asking God, you know, God, you know, help me. You know, I I want this woman back. Would you please give her back to me? Would you restore the relationship? And he said, I was just pleading with God and talking to him about my broken heart. And about that time, there was a knock on the door. And as remote as I was, where I was, he said, it shocked me that anybody would be at the door. I opened the door to somebody I didn't know. And I said, what can I do for you? And the man said, no, it's not what you can do for me. I'm here to do something for you. He said, what's that? He said, I'm here to give you a message from God. He said, what is that? 
He said, the Lord has heard your petition, and he will grant it. He was so elated. He said, I turned. I said, come in, sit down. As I turned, he said, I looked back, and the man was gone. He was absolutely gone. He said, I, I went outside. I searched around the house. There was no vehicles. There was, no, there was nothing nearby. I could see as far as I wanted to see, and he had not gone in any direction. He was just gone. And he came to me, and he said, God's going to grant my request. I think that was an angel unaware who spoke to me. Well, I'm going to pick up the story in a few minutes, but I'm going to pause it right there. Let me say, those kind of mystical experiences are not foreign to Scripture. They're not normative, but they're not foreign. Many of you know the story of Philip in Acts chapter 8. And here he is, uh, taken from a great revival. And as he's in this revival, God speaks to him, this time through an angel, and he says, I want you to leave, and I want you to go to a desert road. And, and he, against all practical, you know, thought how in the world would you do this he says I'll do it and he goes and he's blessed in doing so the story of the apostle Paul in the 16th chapter of the same book of Acts he gets what's called the Macedonian vision and again against all logical human perspective he leaves and God honors and blesses what he does as he follows that leading now, even with the biblical examples that exist, there needs to be a very, very loud caution given. And I want particularly the young people to hear this caution. Please do not weigh heavily the idea of a mystical, supernatural experience to say, therefore, I have to have heard from the Lord. It does not mean that whatsoever. There are many forms of the supernatural that God has outright forbidden, and we need to know that. There are fortune-telling, uh, horoscopes, Ouija boards, all kinds of things that have been used over the past to try to discover what is the direction that I need to go in life. Whether you believe in God or not, you're looking to the supernatural to explain. It's a very common practice with many. Saul lost his life by listening to a fortune teller. Not because the fortune teller was wrong in what was said, but because God said, I don't want you doing that. And he did it anyway. We have to be very careful. You have stories in the Bible of which many of these inappropriate, wrong approaches to hearing what God wants to say are actually receiving the truth from the messenger who speaks. But even with that, it's not the right thing, even as in this particular account that we've just read. Here's this man of God, and he is assuming that God, maybe through this mystical experience of another person hearing an angel of God, some of the other voices that we've already talked about, he listens to this old prophet and he says, well, what are you saying? And he says, well, come eat with me. And he comes to eat, and then he gets this prophecy of God. And when he gets the prophecy, the very prophecy comes true, and the young or the, the man of God prophet, he dies. It's an accurate message, 
But it doesn't mean that he's doing what God would have him to do. You've got the same thing with Saul listening to the fortune teller. You've got the diviner who addresses Balaam. Uh, you've got numerous times in scripture that the, the message is correct. It's just not supposed to be listened to. I remember as a young teen, there was something that was about to happen and a bunch of our buddies were curious to know what was going to happen. It was going to be in the next few days. And one of my friends said, hey, I'm telling you, we can find out what's going to happen. I said, how's that? He said, let's just get on a Ouija board. I said, I've heard of Ouija boards, but what are Ouija boards? Oh, you can find out what's going to happen in the future. I said, come on. They said, oh, no, you can't. And so I sat before this board, and I'm, I remember it vividly. Everybody put their hand on this little piece, and it started moving around, and it spelled out a word, and it literally spelled out the exact scenario that happened within a few days. Totally forbidden of God. Young people, stay away. All this stuff that you find with the, uh, you know, I know we're in a video world today. You be careful what you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're doing, what games you're playing. There may be some supernatural results, but it doesn't mean it's of God. In fact, in this case, you can be a certain that it's not of God. Be very, very careful. We should know this, that we should not expect it to be normal that we're going to have a mystical experience in determining a direction that God would have us to take. Very unlikely. There are very few times in Scripture, very few, nothing in the Old Testament or the New Testament ever tells us that we should do that, that we should pursue any other means outside of the biblical mandates of how to find the, word of, the will of God, which we're going to be talking about in the final three messages of this series. Now, we needn't think, we should never think that if I have a spiritual experience in guidance, that therefore, even if it's accurate and if God uses it, we should never think, I must be a, a more spiritual person than most. Or if you never have a supernatural guidance experience in your life, that therefore something's wrong with your Christian experience. It is not true. Most Christians never do. I want you to see what Luther has to say about that. This is Martin Luther. He says, our nature cannot bear even a small glimmer of God's direct speaking. The dreams and visions of saints are horrifying, at least after they're understood. And he's going on to argue that don't seek after supernatural experiences of guidance. You really don't want to go there. Can God do it? Yes, he can. But never use that as a platform to say, thus, God wants me to do something. Not at all. Let's go back to my friend's experience. Here he is, and he comes to me. He's a very, very um, successful business leader. He's a bright thinker. Seems to be a smart man. Either... He fabricated the whole story. I would not think that knowing him as long as I'd known him. But maybe he fabricated the whole story. Or maybe he was just delusional. Maybe he just lost it. I don't know. Maybe in his grief or pain, he, he thought he saw something like that, and he didn't. Or maybe it really happened. Maybe somebody showed up at his door, said what he said, and then couldn't be found. Regardless of what it was, it really doesn't matter because 
This woman never came back to him, married someone else, left him brokenhearted. It was not an accurate message. Obviously, not from God. If it's not even accurate, how could it be from God? So we have to be very, very careful. If I could address something that's just a personal moment here of a, just a view that I have. And this is not found in Scripture, so please take it just as a, I wonder if. But so much takes place in terms of intuition. We've talked about it early in the series. And, and you know what I'm talking about where you just sense something's going to happen and it happens. Uh, maybe we're looking this way. We've never looked to the right or to the left. And all of a sudden we have this sense somebody is staring. And you look over and sure enough they turn around and they were staring at you. And you think, well, how did I know somebody was staring at me? We had a, a lady in our church uh, for a number of years and it told stories of, of how her daughter and the daughter in the church as well, saying, telling stories of, of how these amazing things would happen when she would get premonitions and she would know it was going to happen and it would happen. How, how, does that, how does that take place? Because it takes place, as we mentioned earlier in the series, both with non-believers and with believers. And here's my theory about it. I think we have no concept the glory of the creation of God in human being. The body, the mind, we have no idea. And if we could see and understand what it was like before the fall, when the glory was taken from us in the fall, all of sin falls short of the glory of God after sin. That with that glory that's been taken away and not all glory, but just stripped of glory. We know that we're still in the image of God. We're still in his design, but now we're a broken version of what we were and what we eventually will be when this body is restored and we're brought back together. We unite with Jesus at the resurrection day. Do you ever wonder if just maybe this thing is so amazing, this body and this mind that, that we get little glimpses, little breakthroughs of that kind of glory uh, it's as if it's kind of a, uh, a residue that's kind of left and hanging around still, but to be restored eventually in full. Think about this, when we die and before the resurrection of Christians to meet with Jesus, do we not believe that we're going to be with our loved ones in the heavenlies? Do we think we'll speak to them? Well, how will we do that? We won't have a mouth, not till our bodies are reunited. Do we think we'll see them? Yeah, but we don't have eyes. How are we going to see them? Do you think we'll hear them? Sure. Well, how do we hear them? We don't have ears. Just maybe there is something so magnificent about this spirit and human being that we are that we can't even imagine. And therefore, intuition, supernatural experiences, and other things, they take place. Maybe a lot of it is accounted for just by the fact that we're just that glorious of a creation, still in the image of God, and able to perceive and do things that we could never imagine how to explain how it happened. Who knows? Now, let's go to our final, our sixth counterfeit voice. The last one I'm going to call distorted thinking. Distorted thinking. When I talk about distorted thinking, I want to... I want to give some expressions of the way we think naturally or perhaps because of influences in our experience in life 
the way we are designed with our brokenness, however you want to explain it, we have certain expressions of distorted thinking that are true of every one of us. Some, one, another, this one, who knows? Let me put up the first of four, and I'll call it obsessive or persistent thoughts. Christians and non-Christians alike have, have this obsession with certain thoughts or beliefs. It may be thoughts that we don't even believe, but we have the thoughts constantly. For instance, maybe we, for whatever reason, have just found ourselves constantly consumed with the idea that God doesn't like me. And I know there's some of us here that, that struggle with that. See, I have no basis to really say, but I just have this sense that God couldn't and therefore doesn't really love me. Or some think, I know it's not true and I don't want to believe that it's true, but I have this constant thought that God is mean and mad. I have this constant thought that God is this. I have this constant thought that I am that. And whatever it is, these particular thoughts lead us to influence how we view God speaking to us when he is speaking to us. To sometimes hear God speaking to us when he's not speaking to us. For instance, somebody might think, well, you know, I really think this is where God is leading, but that would sure be desirable for me. And God doesn't like me, so surely that's not what he's saying for me. It's just a distorted thinking pattern. And it influences the way we read the discernment of what God's direction is. Number two, over-conscientiousness. There are some of us here that are just extremely conscientious people. Were we not Christians, we would still be very, very conscientious. Maybe we now use the Word of God and the, the laws that He has given us to rule our conscience, but were we not committed to that, we'd have some other rule or measure because we're going to be conscientious people and we're going to be very careful and we've got to do it this way and so forth and so on. We don't want to have any hint that maybe we could have even erred in any form or fashion. Somebody with that kind of mindset is going to constantly be second thinking their decisions. And so here where God says this, and I think, no, I don't think he's saying that now. And I think now he's, well, maybe now he's not. And we're constantly back and forth. We need to factor that in. We're just an overly conscientious person. Therefore, we need to be very cautious when we're trying to discern the will of God. Is that factoring into the process? Number three, perfectionism. Perfectionism. Uh, we know there are many of us here that are perfectionists, and as a perfectionist, when we start discerning what is the leading of God and His direction in a particular way, it's very easy for us to hear that God is not directing us in a certain way because were I to go that direction, I know I couldn't do it to perfection. And I know that's what God God's, wants for me to be everything right. And Therefore, we, we don't see God leading us often when he is. Our one-fourth one, and that would be a martyrdom syndrome, maybe somewhat like the first issue. Martyrdom syndrome would be that person who thinks that unless it's hard, uh, sacrificial, costly, and undesirable, then, uh, then it wouldn't be God's leading. If it is those things, very difficult, challenging, and something I don't want to do, therefore, God must be, must be leading I was just talking to someone uh, just uh, maybe uh, half an hour, hour ago and in between the services, and we were talking about their new job, and it's going to be in, it's gonna be in uh, uh, 
Minneapolis. And I said, well, this must be of God because who would go there unless God were calling you? <laughs> and, but there's that sense in which we think that way, don't we? It's kind of like, well, it couldn't be. Well, the truth of it is, God loves us to enjoy and to have pleasure and so forth. And, but some of us have a martyrdom complex, that kind of syndrome. And if that be the case, we need to factor that in as we're discerning God's leading in a particular area. Is this simply an issue of this is an overflow of the way I think? Or is God really leading this way? I think we're going to find it to be very, very important that we understand how God does lead us. We've talked about the ways God has not led us. But we've got to turn our attention now over the final three weeks and hopefully view this as an appetizer to get us ready for the main deal, the main dish, because now we're going to talk about what are those, those guidelines that you can set up like lights in a harbor for a ship. That when you get them aligned, you can have great confidence. This is what God would have me to do. Is it to buy that home? Is it to keep the relationship or break the relationship? Is God leading me to take the job or not take the job? Whatever it may be. I want to close and I want to do so by just underscoring, and particularly to our young people, the dire consequences that come with listening to and following counterfeit voices. A pastor friend of mine was dismissed from his church because he thought God was telling him it would be okay for him, not others, but him to go to strip clubs. And to do so with the thought that this will help me know the type of people that I'm trying to reach in this community. It'll help me relate to what they're dealing with. And he had himself convinced that this was something that God would applaud and it would be okay. Maybe he heard a voice. But if it was, it was a counterfeit voice. The voice of personal desire. You and I know well, he wanted to be in that club. And he would tell you so even now. And therefore, he thought he heard God's voice. He didn't. A Christian who is single says, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that God would have me to marry this person. And I know they're not a Christian. And I know that they don't meet the standards that a Christian should be looking for in someone who is going to be united in a covenant relationship of marriage for a lifetime. But they come to the place. They say, I, I, just, I just know. I, I just have this sense of overwhelming confidence that it's the right thing. They heard a voice, but it was a counterfeit voice. It was the voice of peace of mind. But that peace of mind led to a divorce. A woman listens to her well-meaning friends who love her to death. And they're Christians as well. They want what's best for her. But either because they're not aware of the biblical teaching of what biblical grounds are, because this person does not have biblical grounds, didn't have biblical grounds. Their friends say, this is a horrible marriage, and I know God wants you to be happy, and therefore put two and two together. You're going to get four. God doesn't want you to be unhappy. He would bless a divorce. 
only to see the children destroyed in that divorce and one that which God would have never said okay. They heard a voice, but it was the voice of misguided friends. Man sees everything line up in a way that is just beyond explanation to get into a business deal. It's just too uncanny. It couldn't happen naturally. And is convinced that God has spoken to him that he should get into this particular business involvement. It's not following biblical guidelines of biblical finance. Some of the decisions that had to be made in order to make this decision and so forth were wrong in and of themselves, but he was still convinced it's the right thing to do. And he's convinced he's heard the voice of God. Finds himself in financial ruin, destruction because of what happens. And then only to realize he heard a voice, but it was the voice of open door. He should have never listened to. A mother tells the story of, of her voice that she heard. It was, it was too much real. It had to be a true voice of God because her very critically ill child is about to leave this earth and she hears the voice of God saying, your son will live. And with great enthusiasm and joy, she rejoices in the voice of God only to see her child die. Now to distrust God, at least have tendencies for a lifetime. She thought she heard the voice of God. She heard the voice of God. She heard the voice of the counterfeit, a mystical experience. The man is convinced that he's to give away everything he owns, everything. All of his savings, all of his possessions, just everything. Because he, he just sensed that's, that's the thing that would be the most appropriate honoring thing. And he gives away everything. Then comes into medical issues and has to have the church community to come alongside to pull him out of disaster. He thought he'd heard the voice of God. He didn't hear the voice of God. He heard a counterfeit voice. All because of a distorted thinking pattern. And he thought he'd heard God. Bottom line, God is going to use other approaches. And we want to study what those approaches are. I, I close uh, the, uh, the last thought uh, of the closing here would be this. If I could give you advice in hearing God, I, I would make it very simple. And I would suggest it this way. Two things. One, put the noise level down in your life experience. If you're in a car, don't always have the radio on. Nothing wrong with having the radio on, listening to your music or whatever you listen to, fine. But at some time, just say, you know what? I'm going to turn the noise down and I'm going to drive in quiet and just enjoy the presence of God as we drive and just see if he would like to say something to me. When you're at home, maybe turn that TV off or set the computer down. And say, you know what, I normally do this, but I want to use this time. I just want to listen to God. If you find people that seem to hear God very, very clearly and so often, and I'm not talking about in mystical, crazy, supernatural ways, but just to have a beat on what God is saying in their life, where to go and what direction, you'll find that they set aside extended times where they say, 
I just want to listen to you, Lord. It's not that I have to talk while I'm with you. I take walks, not every day, but many, many, many days a week. I'll, 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 take, I'll take a walk in a particular place that I go, and, and, and I'll say, God, I'm not going to just talk to you. I'm going to listen and bring to mind things. And let me talk to you about things that you might be wanting to say. And I just want to have a sense of being with you. And that's a perfectly legitimate, wonderful prayer time. You don't have to be talking, talking, talking. Sometimes we need to take down the noise of our own talking to God just to listen to what he has to say. And that time in the word of God, it's a quiet time of hearing him. You know you're listening to him then. So just put down the noise. And then number two, prep your heart for being able to hear. Out of the kindness of God, I think he would not throw pearls before swine. We know that. Maybe he doesn't want to throw things before us knowing that we'll hear and won't obey. I don't know if God's ways there, but I know this. To the degree that the heart is receptive to listening and obeying, to that degree, God's going to speak louder and more clearly to us. And so, as you spend time alone, go to the cross of Jesus Christ and stare at what he's done. Be reminded of his great love and his sacrifice. And to understand that if, if I'm hearing from God, it's not because I've earned it through my quietness or, or by my appeal to him. It's because of what he's done for me. That's called the gospel. It's God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And in obedience, just go and, and say, God, I want to just think about what you've done for me. And then consider, if, if you would sacrifice your son, would you not speak to your children and give them direction if we listen? And so just prepare the heart to hear. Invite him to work on your heart. Ask him to break your heart to the point of obedience. And the only thing that's going to do that is seeing his great love for you. Lower the noise. Raise the heart's awareness. And watch if God doesn't speak in a new way. Not big, crazy ways, but in very clear every day of your life. That's hearing the voice of God. As we pray together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to invite you to show us the times that we need to quiet our surroundings and lower the noise level. Would you show us what it means to prepare the heart? Give us moments to be in your word and to think about the truths of, of your sacrificial offering of your son to us. And utilize those, Lord, to cause us to fall more in love with you or maybe to initially fall in love with you for the first time. Become your children. But Lord, we, we don't want formulas. We just we want presence. And we want your work in our hearts. So would you just do that? We pray, our Father, that we, might, that we might find ourselves more and more clearly hearing you in this very noisy world. Grant it, we pray, and we ask in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.